You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Okay, I will be honest with you. I am excited to get this talk off the dock. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I've been telling people. I've had anxiety this week. I sat down to tweak the talk on Friday. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Instead, I did a dance list of, for two hours on Pandora or whatever it is, Spotify, you know, but um, I have this thing, every time I, I came into work today, worked on again, anxiety again, anxiety again, and I've been talking to our staff, same thing, I've had people randomly email me this week, talking, hey, I'm praying for you about this talk, I really feel like there's something to this talk, I don't know what it is, it's certainly not the cleverness of it, you're going to find out it's very straightforward and boring, but our response as a church, I think that's what was happening in worship today, is that, is that all of us are going to be given an opportunity and are being given an opportunity every day as we choose to walk with Jesus. Do I want to receive what Jesus has for me? Do I want the freedom that God has for me? Do I, do I, do I want to understand what does it mean the Father won't forgive me if we don't forgive those on earth that are near us or that he calls us to forgive? Like, what does that mean? Oh, I'm not even going to explore the question because it's too painful because I've been hurt, for, you know, I've been hurt too much. Well, that's choosing Non-forgiveness. That's, I mean, that's choosing no free. You're choosing to not be free then. You know, last week we had a, um, a, a friend of mine was visiting, a good friend of mine, kind of a spiritual mentor of sorts, grandfather, like a great, great grandfather in the faith, so to speak, an older fella. But uh, anyway, good friend of mine. And, um, and he said, Antley, I woke up this morning and um, the Lord said to come to River City Church. He doesn't come to River City Church. He's not a member of River City Church. He doesn't live in town. He lives far away at the beach and uh, far, far away at the beach. And, um, and he said, I don't know why God wanted me to come. So he came, he experienced a service. After the service, he came over to me. And I just mentioned unforgiveness just for that like two minutes before ministry to kind of launch into ministry. We had a, a number of people who have spoken to me about what God did in that time last week, just the healing they received and uh, the forgiveness. Uh, and um, well, anyway, this person came in and they, and they had tears in their eyes and they said, I know why I was supposed to come. They said, I, want, I feel like I'm here to confirm the direction of what you're speaking to the church about unforgiveness right now. He said, yesterday, and this person's been a Christian for a long time. Again, he's like a spiritual mentor to me, a spiritual father. And um, he said, yesterday, Antley, um, I, I, I went on my porch, I sat down, I said, all right, Lord, what is it you want to work with me on? What is it? you want to do today? And he said, the Lord revealed fairly quickly, he showed me the unforgiveness I feel towards my mother and my father. And he went on to say how his whole life, he's resented the fact that his parents chose for him to be born on his father's birthday. And he said, Antley, so for my whole life, I've never had my own day. I've never had a day that was my day. And he goes, I didn't even realize how much it bothered me until yesterday when I sat down and said, Lord, what is it that you want to do with me? And he said, because of this unforgiveness, you have lived with an edge your whole life that's made you bitter, that's made you angry. And he goes, I don't want that for you anymore. I want you to be free from that. And so he's just telling me this. You know, he's just telling me, and he says, you know, now it's the beginning of the journey for me. I started with this quote this morning. The spiritual journey begins where you are. No one moves towards holiness by pretending to be further along the path than they are. 
Face where you are and make it known to another. Then you will leave behind the community of pretenders and join the community of the broken. What I love about this friend, maybe as much as anything about him, is this reality of his awareness of how broken he is and how much he needs Jesus, even though he's known him probably two or three times as long as I've known Jesus. And he loves entering the journey again and again, every day, the journey of freedom, choosing freedom, choosing vulnerability, choosing to bring his brokenness to Jesus. And that's the choice that you have today as we talk, as I talk about our forgiveness. Before I move into that, though, I want to I be clear about something. I know that um, for many of you, you've had really difficult things done to you. Things um, that are tragic by other people. And I don't in any way to minimize your pain. I don't in any, in any way want to speed up your recovery or, or, or what God is doing with you and, and to say that if you just do this, then everything will be okay. Um, what I want to do this morning is to show us that for your healing, regardless of how painful or whatever you've been through or whatever been done to you, whatever betrayal you've experienced, that the path to wholeness, the path to freedom comes before God. It comes through Jesus. It comes through recognizing the forgiveness that you've been extended. And in light of the forgiveness that you've been extended, beginning to choose to forgive others, to work and to stay in God's grace and his mercy but I'm not in any way wanting to communicate that if you, you just need to forgive, just forgive, get over yourself and forgive. That's not what I'm saying because I know that many of us have been in very difficult and very painful situations and God has healed us. He's going to heal us more. And when Jesus returns one day, we will be fully healed. That's the reality of the journey that we're all on. I believe as we look at what the Bible says, specifically, though, about what Jesus says about forgiveness this morning, and we turn our hearts to God, we are going to find freedom. We're going to be healed. We're going to have different lives when we leave today, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Let's pray. Father, that's what we want. We want this talk to matter. We want freedom. We want freedom in our bodies where we are broken down because of unforgiveness. We want freedom emotionally in our relationships with our spouses, with our children, the way that we treat them that is wrong because of the unforgiveness and the bitterness that we have. And Father, spiritually, we want you to remove today anything that's preventing us from experiencing your love, from experiencing the freedom that you have for us as a result of unforgiveness that we have in our hearts. That's what we want. That's what you promise. And so come, Holy Spirit, that we would receive this. Amen. Jesus says this in Luke 6. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Is this up there? Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, and this is the part we love, don't we? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, running over. I want that. We'll be, we'll be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus says that. And then Jesus also says this. He answered them, have faith in God. 
Truly I say to you, whoever says to the mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. We love that scripture, don't we? We just have to believe. If I just have enough faith, I can move mountains. This is how Jesus ends this little, that little encouragement to us, the power of faith, the power of prayer. He says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Jesus connects this reality of power in our life, this reality of effective faith-filled prayer with forgiveness or the lack of it. The connection between our ability to love and trust God and loving and forgiving our neighbor, Jesus brings together. When asked how to pray, I mean, imagine this. I mean, in terms of things you would want to know from Jesus, the author and the creator of the universe who knows the Father and the Spirit more than anyone, the way that we connect with God, how, how do we connect with God? Through prayer, through talking to him. So the disciples ask, how are we supposed to pray? Pretty important topic. Jesus says this, our Father, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is Mark, Matthew 6. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. How? As we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I mean, how often do we quote that in our church? Your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done here, now, on earth, as it is in heaven. This is how Jesus ends this prayer. This is how Jesus tells us. He tells us how to pray, and then he says, oh, wait, 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 wait. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What does that mean? Seriously? What does that mean? Jesus is reemphasizing this reality, this importance of forgiving others, indicating that there is a direct relationship between having being forgiven, living in the forgiveness that God extends us, and then learning to extend it to other people. It's like living, and our living, Jesus is telling them, either you believe that I've done everything that I need to do, either you believe, you choose to believe that, that there's this, this, this opportunity for you to live under grace and mercy, or you don't. But if you choose to believe and to pray this way, if you want to have power in your life and to see mountains move, if you want the freedom I have, then don't, you can't just think it. You have to live it in a way that demonstrates it and a reality of this truth in your life. If you wanna live under the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy that God, that I've died to give you, if you wanna receive those blessings, then you need to live those blessings and extend them to other people. You have to not only say that it's real, you have to live like it's real. It can't just be a thought in your mind or a theory, it has to be a reality. It has to be truth experienced in your life. Again, Jesus wanting us to draw, he's drawing us in, he's communicating this reality that you cannot have a relationship with God 
and be disconnected from others. You cannot have a vertical, growing, healthy, passionate, powerful relationship with the Father and not be extending that same kind of relationship to other people. You can't. It's not either or, it's both and. What is the greatest commandment, Jesus? To love your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Two totally different thoughts are one that Jesus is bringing together. People write lots of heavy books on this, inward piety and outward piety, inward holiness and outward holiness, which is the most important? Ministry in worship to the Father or ministry in worship to the poor? Social gospel or heavenly gospel? It's never meant to be separated. It's one, they're together. One fuels the other. Jesus is teaching that there is limitless power for us, limitless opportunity for us. I've given you authority. I've given you power. There are amazing blessings for us as his children. As we put our faith and our trust and we receive his grace, we receive his mercy. But we need to be free from unforgiveness to receive these blessings, to live in his grace, to experience his power and his faith and the faith that God desires for us to have. If we're holding on unforgiveness, if, we're, if we have unforgiveness towards others, the action of our faith and our prayer life, the action of all of our life will be crippled. All of our life will be crippled if we have unforgiveness. Most of the thoughts that, I, that I'm getting this from um, come from this book, Grace and Forgiveness, and we're gonna show a link to it online. I'm just gonna touch on it kind of hitting the, the, the thick of the message today. I don't want to forget that. We're crippled in our life because of unforgiveness. That's what scripture teaches us. We're crippled in our life because of unforgiveness. I had a picture of what this looks like. What does this mean? It means that, um, you know, like an artery, uh, if you have an artery in your body, blood's flowing through it like it's supposed to flow, right? But you start to eat crappy food. You, start, you stop exercising. You have stress in your life. What happens to those arteries? Plaque forms, and plaque forms in these arteries, and, and is, is blood still flowing in them? Yeah. Are they still functioning and doing what they're supposed to do? Yes, but they're being compromised in their ability. They're being compromised in the flow of blood that's flowing through them. That's what happens to you when you don't forgive people. That's what happens to me when I don't forgive people. That's what happens to the church as we don't practice what we say we believe. As we become clogged, we slow down. We start being effective. Our prayers don't have power. Is there still blood? Is there still life? Sure, some, but not at the capacity that we are created to have. And ultimately, what happens to an artery that's filled more and more and more and more? We die. It clogs up to the point where you can die or that part of your body that has, needs blood flow, it dies. Well, that's what happens to your heart. Parts of it will die. You harbor unforgiveness towards a person and you start to cut off blood flow in a part of your heart and slowly it begins to work inefficiently. And we start to see the effects of this in our love for people. We start to see the effects of this. We become cynical. We start to, we, we church hop, blaming and pointing fingers. No one's doing it like they should. We start to close down to people. That person's dead to me. I'm not hanging out with them anymore. I'm not spending time with them anymore. Why? Because 
the love that God desires for you to flow and to bring to them is slowly being cut off, slowly being cut off to the point where it's, it's done, I'm done, it's over. You bury it, you repress it, you push it under, just thinking, well, I'm just gonna be me and Jesus. And Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. I, I wouldn't be nice if it did because then we could just be people we like, people that are like us. But Jesus says, no, no, that's not how it works. That doesn't require you to trust me. That doesn't require any faith. That doesn't require you to, to love the unlovable. It doesn't require you to do anything but what you want, and that's not what I want. What I want is for you to trust me, to live like what I'm saying is true, to live like that you really believe and understand that the grace and the forgiveness that I extended you came at a massive price for me to choose to operate in that. You've seen this in people's lives. People who are just down all the time, you start talking to them, they're bitter. And they're upset. Why? Well, something bad's happened to them, and they're angry, and they're hurt. People are carrying around depression, emotional issues. When I meet and I talk to people, married couples, counsel married couples, when I get to the root of the issues in their marriage, it's always another relationship, another person, a wound that they have, an unforgiveness issue with their father or their mother that's manifesting now in their marriage and Jesus is saying, I'm gonna get your attention with this. Are you gonna trust me? Are you gonna extend forgiveness and grace and mercy? Or are you gonna live under the law of judgment? Can unforgiveness really affect our lives this, this massively, emotionally, physically, and spiritually? Can, that, can our bodies really be trying to tell us that there's something wrong and that God wants to heal us? Francis McNutt in his his book Healing says that he, uh, as they teach people about praying for physical restoration, healing in people's lives, or inner healing, that that they often first pray for unforgiveness issues in that person's life. The first thing that they pray for. And he says that um, they've seen people, once they forgive people, that they've seen uh, physical things just go away. Their body's just healed. People in wheelchairs will just, they'll be free and they'll be able to get up and walk. And they'll say that, that as that people forgive people emotionally, that, that the baggage and the bitterness and the condemnation and the spiritual oppression they feel, they say it just lifts and the person's totally healed as a result of them confessing, I, I haven't forgiven this person, I need to forgive them, Lord. I, I choose to forgive them now. And for some of us, see, the forgiveness journey will involve going to that person but not for everyone. For some people, it won't be possible. For some people, it, you know, the, rela- the person's dead. They've died. It was a parent, and they're dead now. And you believe the lie that, oh, this is the way it's going to be. I can't, you know, they're gone now. That's not true. This primarily is a choice that you're making with God to have a heart and a willingness to forgive after your heart has been damaged by someone else. It's a vertical decision that flows and to the relationships you have. If God, if it is possible to go to that person, then God will let you know. But this morning, the thing that God is asking you is do you want to experience a forgiving lifestyle, for, you know, choose to forgive? Is that possible that, that God, a loving father would allow these things in our life, brokenness in our life, pain in our life, to get us to forgive? 
That seems like a pretty high price for us to pay. Would a loving father do that? There's a story that I preached on forgiveness a few months ago where I talked about a master. Jesus tells this parable. There's a master, and he had these servants, and the servant owed him 10,000 years of wages. That's the debt that he owed this master. And Jesus is talking about how often do I, he's at, Peter asked him the question, how much do I need to forgive, seven times? And Jesus tells the story, okay? So that's the backdrop. And the master forgives the servant of this massive debt that he never would have been able to repay. And then the servant bumps into one of his buddies who owes him about a year's wage. So a significant wage. And, and he yells at him and he throws him in prison and he gets angry at him and he doesn't forgive him. He doesn't forgive him. And it gets back to the master about how this servant that's been forgiven this massive debt has behaved. And this is how Jesus ends the story in Matthew 18. Then the master, his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have, mer- have had mercy on the fellow, your fellow servant as I've had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt, which was for eternity. Then Jesus ends with this statement. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you, us, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What? Seriously? If God's the master and we're the servant? Some people will say in some theological circles, well, obviously that person wasn't saved. I'm stuck. <laughs> obviously this person wasn't saved because if the person was saved, the father wouldn't, throw him, wouldn't turn him over to be tortured. So the person couldn't have been saved and that's how they deal with the issue, which is wrong. Because he's talking to Peter. He's talking to the disciples who were saved. He's talking to Christians and then some people justify it. They say, well, you can lose your faith. See, you can lose your faith. You can fall out of favor. You do something wrong and the father won't forgive you. He turns you over to be tortured, which is wrong. I don't think that's how God responds to us. I think once we have the spirit, we have this Holy Spirit. He is in us. There's no examples of the Holy Spirit leaving a believer ever. So what's the third option? How is it if God's the master, we're the servant, he turns us over to be tortured? That doesn't sound like a loving father to me. That runs contrary to everything we teach and we believe at RCC. So what is God trying to say to us? What is he trying to teach? That word tortured means to be turned over to your own, turned, God's turning over to, be, to, to deal with and to receive what you're choosing. That's what that word means there. This is what it means. When you choose to live under the law, God will allow you to receive the consequences of what it feels like to live under the law again. You want to live under justice and judgment? Then God will allow you to feel that so that you will repent and come back and live and receive his grace. If one of my sons I forgave one day for something that they did to me, I saw them say they stole something from me. And I said, look, you can't do that. I, I want to trust you, but I forgive you this time. I forgive you. Your debts, don't worry about it. You're forgiven. And then when I, I saw him bump into one of my other sons or daughters, and he said, yeah, I saw you take that. You borrowed that. You didn't ask. You need to pay me back right now. And I saw him experience my grace, 
but then not give my grace? What might I do to him? You need to go to your room and experience you're grounded. You're losing the freedom I extended to you because of your behavior. Why would I do that? Because I love him. I love him. And I want to remind him of what he's been forgiven, the debt that he's been forgiven. God wants the servant to know and remember the price that Christ has paid for him to experience, for us to experience the grace and the love and the mercy that we've been shown. And so when we choose to live under judgment, to condemn and to not extend forgiveness to other people, we're choosing to live under the law again. We're choosing to, to ask for judgment and not extend grace and mercy. And the consequence of that is that it will feel like torture to us because we aren't designed that way as his children once we come under Christ. And so it feels like broken bodies. It feels like bitterness and anger. It feels like depression and anxiety. It feels like brokenness in our life. It feels like torture. It is torture. Why? Because we are not made to operate that way as God's children. We are made to extend grace. We are made to extend mercy. Not because they deserve it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve grace and mercy. We don't extend grace and mercy because someone deserves it. We extend grace and mercy because it's been extended to us when we didn't deserve it. The master's saying, I've extended so much grace. I've relieved a debt of sin and brokenness in your life more than you could ever pay back, more than you could ever imagine. And now I'm gonna go do likewise. What, you're being, what I'm asking you to do is so much smaller than what I've extended you. It's not easy, it's considerable, but you'll be able to do it because of my love for you. You'll be able to do it if you come to me and live in my grace and my mercy. This is what it looks like. There's a testimony of someone. I had a serious back pain for a number of years. In 2004, I was on vacation I was so much in pain, so much pain, I couldn't walk. I was forced to crawl on my hands and knees for two days. I couldn't leave the rental condo we were in. I couldn't enjoy the vacation at all. It was a part of my life. I couldn't walk up and down stairs. It was very painful. I lived in a three-story house. I worked in a two-story office. So every day I encountered this pain, was reminded of this pain in my life. I couldn't, wouldn't go away. I wasn't physically healed. One day in 2006, I was spending time in prayer prior to going outside to cut the grass Cutting the grass was a particularly painful ordeal, which I dreaded every weekend. While I was praying, the Holy Spirit revealed to me that I needed to extend forgiveness to someone for a very long time. I had, not, I, need, I had needed to extend forgiveness to someone who I had not for a very long time. I had been unaware of the unforgiveness in my heart, but I immediately prayed and gave it over to God. I suddenly felt a twitching in my back and wondered what was happening. I realized fairly quickly that I had no sensation of pain in my back. I went out to mow the grass and started running behind the lawnmower. <laughs> Would have been impossible to do this torturous, without torturous, that's the word they used, without torturous pain in the past. And was completely pain-free. I came, I came in and began to run up and down the stairs, horribly painful in the past, and was again free of pain. I bent over and picked things up off the floor. I did toe touches repeatedly. 
agonizingly painful and impossible to do in the past. And there was no pain associated with any of these activities. I realized the Holy Spirit had set me free from unforgiveness that I'd held in my heart. And when that happened, the severe pain that had held me captive for years was completely lifted from me. That was six years ago, and I've been completely free of back pain ever since that time. God's desire is not for us to live in torturous pain, emotionally, physically, or spiritually. And for some of us, unforgiveness, resentment, because you've been betrayed, because you've been hurt, you've been harboring that, and it's affecting you. It's holding you captive, and you're being tortured by it in your life. A man came up to a conference, a conference of the person who wrote this book, and talked about how his 23-year-old daughter had been abused by his father and how the family was in court. How it had torn the family apart and destroyed the family. The pain they were all going through was unimaginable. Then he said, now you're telling me I have to forgive him? And the response was this. Sir, I'm not telling you you have to forgive him. Forgiveness is not me taking the truth of the gospel and holding it like a gun to your head. I'm not saying forgive or else. When you're able to forgive your father, your forgiveness needs to be a gift. That is what grace is. But I can promise you this. If you don't begin working through this issue, eventually it will eat you alive. And 20 years from now, you'll still be as angry as you are tonight, and your 23-year-old daughter will be messed up. This morning's not about God holding a gun of forgiveness to our head, telling us, you must do this or I'm going to torture you. He's saying, no, I've died to give you grace, to offer you love, to offer you freedom, to offer you life. Let me show you what's preventing that from happening. The choice is ours, though. Do we want to get out from underneath the heavy, the weight of what is holding us down? Do we want to walk out of the prison cell that, God's, that Jesus has died to open to bring us forgiveness? Do we want to get up off the mat and be healed in our bodies? If you want a life that is whole and free of the consequences of living under the law and judgment, you need to choose to live under the law of grace, the law of love, the law of forgiveness. If you're experiencing in your life chronic illness, chronic pain, it may be at the root of that is unforgiveness. You're experiencing the torture of what it feels like to live outside of God's grace and mercy. It begins, like I said in that quote, with being honest with God about where we really are. Where are you this morning? Is there somebody that you need to extend forgiveness to? That you need to open your heart to again? That God wants to heal you of? If you believe that this is true, if you believe that the gospel message of Jesus Christ, if you believe that it's true, then we need to live like it's true. It's not enough to think it and to stay on a vertical plane with God. We have to begin to see our role as individuals and as a church of extending his kingdom. This is what it looks like to extend his kingdom beyond ourselves. And it forces us to rely on Jesus. Let's stand.